Hi, I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. Join me every Wednesday for open, honest, and real conversations about change, transformation, and resilience to inspire and empower you. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find verified wellness professionals and holistic health resources at HealingWays. That's HealingWaze.com. Have you ever done something that, although it may have seemed totally crazy to some, you just knew that you had to do it? I have, many times, and in every case, no matter how challenging the outcome, I have no regrets. All of those choices have created paths to lead me to where I am now and where I'm still going. Right now, I, like many of us, are in a really strange place in my life. I've never been one to stay in a place for too long, whether that be a home, city, or even a state. Five years is the longest I've ever lived in my parents' house at 17. The pandemic has made me feel very stuck in many ways, and I've been feeling the tug of adventure pulling on me so strong. I think that tug is even stronger after my conversation with Vanessa Kudo, today's guest. Vanessa immigrated to the U.S. from Brazil when she was just 10 years old. Her lifetime quest to bridge what she loves, her interests, and her livelihood has driven her to follow her dreams no matter where they may take her and no matter how scary they may seem. She now lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, by the way of the East Coast, where she spent the later half of her childhood and some of her college years. Vanessa holds a degree in counseling psychology, which you'll learn in this episode came in pretty handy when she was forced to navigate the death of her father while also birthing a business. While chatting, she told me that she always thought that life had a purpose and that she had a purpose. And I couldn't agree more. Life does have a purpose. And so do all of us. Have you found your purpose or are you still searching? Either way, I think you're going to really enjoy listening to the conversation. Stick around to the end to see how you can connect with Vanessa. Spring is in the air. Yeah. It's definitely in the air. So I'm good. Makes me happy. A bit of sun. Yeah, it's energizing, right? It's energizing. Fuels those creative juices and sense of renewal and hope and all this chaos that we've been dealing with for over a year. (laughs) Yeah. Because by March... Normally, by March, I'm like, this winter, wrap it up, we're over. So it's nice that, you know, spring is coming. And as much as spring can be a bit fickle and kind of all over the place in the weather, but it's just nice to see the flowers blooming again. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So speaking of blooming, we're going to talk a little bit about you and how you... Well, a lot about you. It's going to be all about you. We're not going to talk really much. all about me. It really is all about you. <laughs> uh, so as mentioned in your intro, um, you are originally from Brazil. And yes. you moved to New York when you were young. I was 10. 10 when you moved to New York. And then after New York... You kind of moved all over. The, did you move all over on the East Coast for a while before I you came to Portland? Yeah, actually, when I was 10 and we came to America, I did, li- I did move to New Jersey. Okay. That's important note. That's where I learned English. Uh, so I lived in New Jersey for a couple of years, and then I went back to Brazil, and I was in Brazil for a couple of years, and then I came back again when I was 14, I think, and I moved to Cape Cod in Massachusetts, so that's where I went to high school. And then I went back to Brazil again. And I did college in Brazil, 
and I stayed for a couple of more years. And then in my mid-late 20s, I came back, and then I went to New York City. And I lived in New York City for six years before moving to Portland. Okay. And what did you um, get your degree in when you went to college? So my undergrad is actually in advertising okay. um, and communication. And then I, in New York, when I was in New York, I did my master's in education from NYU. Um, because when I was in Brazil, um, to pay my way through college and everything, I started teaching English as a foreign language. And I really liked teaching. I took to it. So when I got to New York... I did a master's in teaching. I was already actually teaching Portuguese uh, at the community college in New York, uh, Hunter College. And so I went to NYU, but then kind of halfway through the course, I was like, gosh, I'm, I don't want to teach languages anymore. Not like this. And I really started thinking about, I wanted to do more on the counseling, more psychology oriented and then when I was still in New York, um, I started going to Pacifica uh, Graduate Institute, which is in Santa Barbara, California. Because as you do, you live in New York City and you study in the West Coast, right? Because that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's the, 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 you know, talk about a short commute, right? Right. Um, uh, the way Pacifica's program was, and I think it still is, you would go for a long weekend once a month. Oh. Like you would, do, you would have classes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was pretty intense, just hour wise. You, you're, it was, in, it was learning by sort of the water hose method. And so I would fly for one year. I flew from New York once a month all the way to California to three three days of full classes, and then take the red eye back to New York. Whoa! Arrive, go home, change, and go to the office. I worked at a. At the time, I worked at a, a pretty big law firm, one of the four. There's this thing in law, in law firms. I think it's, if you think lawyers are not magical, this is the one thing that shows you they can be a little magical. Um, it's one of the law firms that belongs to the magical, the magic circle. There are four biggest law firms in the world, and they Ooh. considered themselves the, you know, the magic circle. And I think, <laughs> oh, lawyers, and this is the humor. A pretty prominent British, um, the British law firm. Okay. So I would, you know, fly the, fly the red eye, be my, be with my head full of all the stuff, learning about psychology, and then go straight into work and just analyze the people I worked with. You know, <laughs> just looking at their behavior and being like, everybody needs therapy. Um, and so, in the midst of that year, um, it was really, really hard to do that. You know. Yeah. Yes. And the second year of my program, I had to find a tra uh, a training ship, um, you know, a place that I could start training. And I just couldn't see how I was going to do that in New York, and he still worked full time. And so I started thinking about moving. I was already thinking about leaving New York for quite a while. It was not a, a new idea, but I was like, well, I could try Santa Barbara. But actually, I didn't want to go to Santa Barbara, even though the school was there, because it was just so expensive. And mm -hmm. and in my mind, to be honest, it just didn't have the New York grit. It was a bit too much for me. The 
I kind of felt like it was beautiful. It's a beautiful place. I mean, it's where Oprah has her house. And I was going to say, everybody's Megan like, and Harry are there now. Sunny you know? and bright and cheer, super cheerful. Yeah, but I, I felt that if I moved to Santa Barbara, I would need to like have plastic surgery or Botox. No, joking aside. But it was just really actually quite expensive. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to leave New York. That's already expensive to go to a more expensive place. And I had my roommate at the time, my friend in New York, she was moving to Seattle. So I thought, oh, I could just go to Seattle. And I had classmates from Seattle. Because the, the interesting thing about the program at Pacifica, you have people from different parts of the country. Yeah, I even had people from coming from Canada. And so I, there I had two classmates that were from Portland. And they said, why don't you visit Portland? Check it out. And so I came to Portland like on a weekend just to see, just to have a vibe. Mm-hmm. And I remember them saying to me, it's like, come when it's raining because everybody comes when it's sunny in the summer and they fall in love and they want to come. And then they're like disappointed for nine months. <laughs> yeah. I said, sure enough. So I think it was March. Yeah. And I, I remember it was Oscar weekend or something. And I came, and it was raining. It rained the whole weekend. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and I got a vibe for the city, and I was like, sure, sure enough. But I didn't make my decision. And then, the, I think, three weeks later or so, I went to Seattle for the first time to check it out as well. Um, I went to Seattle, and I was like, sure, it looks pretty majestic. This is a possibility. My roommate was moving to Seattle. That would have made it, would have made it kind of easier, you know, because we could get a place together again. So I had already sort of taken out Santa Barbara completely. And what I did, very counterintuitive, was I told my landlord in New York that I was moving within I don't know, a couple of three, uh, three months. Okay. In three months, I was moving out. I told my job that I was moving. So I gave them this really long notice. Everybody thought I was crazy. But when everybody kept asking me, so where are you moving to? I said, I don't know yet, but I'm moving. Nice. That's my style. (laughs) And I started packing. And I started packing without knowing. I hadn't quite made the decision yet. And partly I did that because I felt that if I didn't take that step, I might still stick around. Mm-hmm. I was afraid. And truth be told, for a bit, I was like, why did I do that? I should just stay in New York and, you know, I still have the job and I'll find a traineeship. I did go on a couple of, you know, I had a couple of phone interviews to do the traineeship and stuff. And I couldn't decide. And then, and I was in this sort of like, oh, my God. I know I'm packing. I know I got to go. I have the, the, the date that I'm, and the date that I was moving out of the house where I lived was on my birthday. And so I was like, I really had to, to do it. Yeah. And I couldn't decide. And then I had a dream. And the dream was, and it's very vivid to this day for me because never before or after I had a dream of angels. The angels showed up. Interesting. And in the dream, I was water, white water rafting, and I knew it was a river in Oregon. And in the boat with me was my friend from New York, who was my roommate, whose name is Allison. 
Mm-hmm. And then the other friend was my classmate from Portland, one of my classmates from Portland, whose name was also Allison. They were both in the boat with me. So that's interesting. One, one from Portland, one from Seattle. Yeah. And I was in the front of the boat and they were behind me. And we got to a point in the dream where you're going down the ra- you know, the, the water. And then it got to a point that it was a drop cliff. You know, you had to actually jump out of the boat, you know, because it was all just going to be a free fall. Yeah. And as we were getting to that edge, I knew in a dream that I had to be the first one to jump because if I didn't jump, they couldn't get out either. And in the dream, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And so in the dream, I closed my eyes. And once I closed my eyes, I could see kind of if you were with my mind's eye in the dream, that there were angels everywhere. And they would sort of shimmer. I could see their form and shape, mm-hmm. but they would kind of shimmer. So they looked invisible, but they were shimmering a little bit, so you can kind of see there was something, right? Yeah. And they touched me. They grabbed me. They hold me by the arms, and I could feel them firmly but gently as well holding me, and they just carry me out of the boat, down this pretty substantial cliff. And at the very bottom, what I saw was the fire department for Portland. (laughs) (laughs) And when I get to the bottom, when they land me at the bottom, there's the TV crew, there's the the firemen and all that, they were waiting. And in the dream, I was like, oh, you made it. You won. You, you, made, you, you arrived. And so they kind of sort of carry me off to, like, there's a party happening. And kind of then the dream sort of <laughs> um, morphs, you know, yeah, and the yeah. dreams tend to morph. And I remember waking up and being like, well, it was not the fire department in Seattle. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of was like, I think Portland it is. The angels did not carry me to Seattle. They carried me to the fire department in Portland. And so I think within a short couple of weeks, I I got a phone interview, or maybe soon, really, I have a phone interview with a a training place, you know, a counseling place here in Portland. And I had great rapport with the woman who was going to be my supervisor, and I think she was from Newark. It happened that she was originally from Newark, which I had lived in Harrison, New Jersey, which is next to Newark. Uh-huh. And so this had that East Coast connection there. And she was like, on the spot, she was like, the, the position is yours if you want to take the traineeship and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, all right, Portland it is. And so then, you know, all systems go. Mm-hmm. And I and think when- I... When was this? How long ago? Uh, 2006, so okay. 15 years. So, yeah. yeah. And I I remember I sent all the stuff I had through the movers. And then my classmate, the Allison classmate, mm-hmm. she had a neighbor or somebody she knew that lived near her. They were renting a room, so I contacted them. And so I was able to have a place to arrive and I came with two suitcases that I could carry in the airplane. And the rest of the stuff was coming with the movers like a month later. And and I came without a job. I was like, all right. 
I great. tried. I tried to get a job before getting here, but everybody was pretty much, nah, when you're in town, and I was like, oh, God, here I go. And thankfully, within a month, I found a job at a local, not a, I mean, it's a, another law firm here, but they have offices in the East Coast as well. And one of the reasons I, funny enough, I get the job because the, the, who I was going to work with was originally from Boston. <laughs> so I had, again, another East Coast connection. Yep. And she was really pleased that I had worked at a, for a pretty prominent law firm in New York. And so she was like, okay, you can handle it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I got the job. I got the traineeship. And that's almost 15 years ago. Wow. So when I say I moved to Portland on a dream, I mean, it really helped me make the decision. What a clear then, message in your dream. It was really clear. Um, yeah. I thought it was really clear. And then the other thing that was kind of interesting was that now that I knew I was coming to Portland, um, it was around the time that that sort of movie slash documentary, What the Bleep Do We Know? Or Oh, yeah. Something. Yeah, I think it is What the Bleep Do We Now. Yeah, it came out uh-huh. and on DVD. And so I, I had that. I was watching it. And I really liked it. I watched it a lot. But one of the opening scenes is the main character. She's kind of getting on the max train and all this stuff. And I remember watching that a lot again and again because I was actually trying to see the snippets that would show Portland. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, I got an apartment because I lived in this place that I first landed for only a couple of months. And then I found my boss who I was working with, she was moving in with her now husband. And she was like, I'm letting go of my apartment. Do you want it? So I took her lease. And it was near the Mac station that I saw in the What the Bleep Do We Know. Interesting. So I had cool. seen that so much, and I ended up getting a place. And then. One of the characters in that movie um, well, ended up being one of the ladies I worked with in the other law firm that I ended up going to work at. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And we're so friends, so it's funny, like, how it all... Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Moving across the country on a dream, really. Um, really. What, what do you think, looking back... Because not everybody is able to do that. That's, I mean, that takes some real courage. What, where do you think that's come from? Like, that you're the type of person that can do that. And Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you were, there were a lot of times you were scared. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, what just kept you going, going like, I'm just doing this? Well, funny enough, at the time when I said, when I finally could tell people I'm moving to Portland, because uh, everybody's like, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember some people being like, so are you going to go all granola on us now and Birkenstock? And I'm like, no. Um, but a lot of my friends in New York were like, you're, uh, you're crazy. Like most people say I'm going to move. They're like, I'm going to move to the next borough or the next couple of streets over, you know, and you're going to just move 3,000 miles away. Uh-huh. And even when I left Brazil to go to New York, um, the third time right that I left mm-hmm. Brazil, I was leaving, you know, my failed marriage. And I was like, I'm not sticking around. And even in Brazil, my friends were like, what are you doing? How can you just up and leave? You know, within, I think within five weeks of he, him and I sort of being like calling it quits. I was like, I'm on my 
flight to New York, you know, again, no job. Yeah. Uh, just going. Granted, in New York, I did have my father and my stepmother, so I had a place to land. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's kind of hard to say. I just always had this, maybe because I left my country at a young age, mm-hmm. um, 10, you know, so I already had that experience of, like, major move. Mm-hmm. Without, and knowing that it's scary, but that you figured it out. Like you, you figured were, it out. Yeah. yeah. I think a little bit too is from my own parents. My own parents had the, the, the I mean, they're the ones who initiated those, those early moves. Mm-hmm. I think this, my father and my mother, both in their own way, had this ability to be like, all right, we got to go do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's opportunity and you just got to do it. I think my father perhaps had a bit of a, uh, more of a sense of the adventure, I think, on a certain level. The move to the U.S. Uh, definitely was my father's, uh, more of his idea in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a bit of that, mm-hmm. maybe kind of in the DNA. But I think on a on a personal level, on a personality level, maybe, I'm just always like, I've always been mystified, very curious but also it's very foreign to me when I meet people who have never left where they've been born mm-hmm. or not to mention even traveled abroad. I, I'm just like, you, you're like from another planet. Like, tell me <laughs> what is going on inside. I just, I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm very curious. I don't understand it. And at the same time, there's a level of like, I respect that, but I could not do it. Uh-huh. Um, I agree. It, it, it seems a bit like it's a whole big world. Why not try something else? Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So I think it was a bit of that. Because even when I told my father at the time that I was coming, he was like, at first, he actually at first didn't like it. He was like, what? And then pretty soon after, he was like, oh, I get it. You just, you know, you just need to go and. He, he joked and said, oh, you really wanted to go to Japan, but you decided to stop halfway, you know, <laughs> not go all the way. But, and then later on, when he came to visit, um, he said, you, he, one day he said to me, he's like, you did what I didn't do. You went further. You Aww. went further out. You really kind of sort of got into the country, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He felt like, well... He stayed always in the East Coast, always very close to the Brazilian community, always, and he felt that he could have gone further in in, a, in his mind, if you will, gone native, really deep into the yeah. into American culture. And he said that I had done it. Yeah, so I was. I would say I was probably one of the first ones in my family that went further out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because a lot of my family did come to the U.S., but they kind of stay around Cape Cod, New York, near, you know, Florida area. Yeah. East Coast. And I do have a cousin who lives in California, but um, I would say I was probably the first one that came out. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, it's something that I'm just remembering now. I felt at a young age when we came to America that, well, it wasn't really my choice. Right? My parents came. And I had to come. Mm-hmm. And so especially when I was a teenager, it was a bit like, oh, I don't want to leave my friends, you know? <laughs> yep. But I also, as I grew older, I realized I wanted to make a move. I wanted to do something where I could stick my flag 
and be like, this is mine. I did it. I didn't come because of my parents. I didn't come because I was leaving a failed marriage. You know, I didn't go move here or there because of a person. Mm -hmm. I was doing it for me. And that was important. I think that was a driving force as well to be like, I'm claiming something that's mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's because then I just have that independent spirit of being like, oh, there's another way, another place to go. But it really tested courage because you're doing it with a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. Fear is sort of in the back seat, you know, throwing judgment (laughs) the whole time. (laughs) Yes. Um. I think it was real a real gamble in many ways, you know, because I especially because I came without a job. Um, but it was a test of like assumptions I might had had about myself. Um, you know, I came, I did have the two classmates, but they were not close, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer in touch with them. So mm-hmm. it really, in some ways, they helped then, and then you know, dissipated. Yeah. I made friends through the job I got, so that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And and I just kept at it. It was a real test of finding my way. Yeah. It was kind of like coming to America for me the second um, in a way in my <laughs> own in my own terms because I was uh-huh. really then I felt in a more of a foreign place because even though it's the same country, there's cultural differences, East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, totally. It has its own uniqueness. And I was really here kind of on my own. And I left, uh, symbolically, really, I left the house in New York on my birthday. And I remember the movers coming to get the stuff and being like, so why are you moving out there? And many of them, well, they were like, oh, you're moving because you have a boyfriend there. I'm like, no, I'm just moving there. They were, even the movers were like, what? You crazy woman. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so you got here and that was 15 years ago and your life I know. has changed a ago. lot in 15 years. So uh, much. I never thought I'd, I, I thought I'd be here for like a year because I knew I had to do the traineeship uh-huh. and that was like for sure a year. I never thought 15. It's the longest I've ever lived in a place. Great. Wow. Not even Brazil. I've lived this long mm-hmm. all in the same time. Like, I lived yeah. in Brazil like 10 years and then two and then eight. So now Portland's the place I've lived the longest. Uh-huh. So when that year came around, what made you stay? Did you just love it at that point? I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, I made good friends here. I liked the city. It was a good size for me. Because mm-hmm. I was in New York, and as much as I love New York, there are many things I love about New York, and I still miss about New York. New York is intense. It's not a city that I chose because I wanted to go to New York. I, I went to New York because my father was in New York, and yeah. I thought at least I'll have a couch to, you know, surf for a bit mm-hmm. until I find where I want to go. Actually, my dream was to go to England. Uh-huh. I, uh, while I was in New York, I looked, instead of doing the master's in education in New York like I did, I actually applied to go to England and I got accepted to go to England. Last minute, I was like, oh, you know, I I had, you know, I was, I was like, no, maybe it's too much. I kind of, I, I chickened out, totally chickened out. 
And so even my friends in New York are like, and you moving to Portland? Like, you go in the opposite direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> know your geography. It's, you know, the other way. Right. And so actually when I finished Pacifica, which was, what, 2008, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2008. I did not, the graduation and all that. This is when the the economy went bust. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I remember I I law lo- I was laid off from the law firm that I had the job. Oh, okay. And, and on the same week that I was graduating, lovely. And it was the same <laughs> week of my birthday, so it was like lose your job on a Thursday, have your birthday, and graduate by the other weekend. Yeah, so it was all compounded. So I actually it was interesting. I lost the job on Thursday. My father kind of came because he was going with me to California for my graduation. He arrived like on a Friday the next day. We did California. And I was like, what do I do? I don't have a job. And, you know, so I, I thought about, I might go back to New York. But then I also thought, oh, this is my chance. I could apply for the PhD and go to England. If I could go to England. Mm-hmm. So in the fall, I already had gotten a job, another job here, which was the last law firm I worked at. Mm-hmm. And I did go to England. I did go to the university I was thinking of applying. I did talk to the professors there, you know, that could have been my advisors. Mm-hmm. I did the whole visit. I looked at it. But I remember feeling like every newspaper I saw, the world is going up in flames because the economy is shut, yeah. shut down. And then I thought, oh, I don't think it might be the best time to come to England right now in the midst of a, an economic meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I put that off. And and then I, but I also didn't like the university either. So I was like, I don't think I want to dedicate a PhD to a place that I'm not jazzed about. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in Portland and sort of hunkered down um, because the economy went crazy. And I was so exhausted. I was very tired. Uh, mentally from the program because it was really intense two and a half years of a lot of work even though you would go only once a month but it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. and the whole time I had worked full-time and I had done the training shift I had to do 20 hours a week wow seeing clients as a therapist while working full-time and doing the school work. Wow, yeah. Acupuncture kept me alive. <laughs> really, I would go to acupuncture every other week just to sort of, you know, balance my chi. Yeah, so by the time I graduated and did all that, I was so tired that I think for the next two years, I could not have a deep thought about anything. <laughs> what? I was reading romance novels. My oh, my. worried about me. Yeah, that... I never read romance novels. I was like, I can only take fluff. Just give me fluff. Anything that it requires intellect, forget yeah. about it. I can't even imagine <laughs> you being like that. Yeah, you were tired. For I was sure. really tired. Yeah. I remember my skin broke out. I was super exhausted. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so how did you bring yourself back from that exhaustion? What did you do? Good thing is I, I had the job, which was stressful. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go back to law firms. I was so done. It was being uh, working in law firms for me, which I ended up working for like 16 years. It was the most accidental career ever. <laughs> and so I never, that was not my intention. I came back to myself by, um, thankfully, one of the, the great consequences of going to Pacifica and maybe having so much exhaustion 
is that it brought me back to my own art. I used to love doing art. I was always doing art as a kid. It was never encouraged in the family. My parents thought it was just a fad. It was, it was always looked down on. Interesting. And so for 16 years, I shut it down. I didn't do art. And so now that I was just working and I kind of felt really called towards the end of the program at Pacifica, I kind of got back to drawing. And then so the next couple of years, I really sort of allowed myself to buy the art supplies and play and take some workshops. And and I started doing art again. And lo and behold, I started selling commission pieces. People be like, oh, I'll pay you if you want to draw. So the... The first paid piece was a, a co-worker's dog. I had to draw the dog. And I was so happy. I was like, oh, my God, somebody's actually paying me to do a drawing. Yeah. Activate a different part of myself. Uh-huh. I had done a lot of mental work. Mm-hmm. In oh, yeah, I'm sure. Going to really school. pushed me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that create those creative outlets can really center us, bring us back, yeah. ground us for sure. So, and I love that you were able to start making money doing it too. That's awesome. No, it was just kind of like, oh my God. Cause you know, I grew up with this whole, like, you can't make money with it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a fad. It's just, it's nothing, you know? So that was nice confirmation. Yeah. Well, I think unfortunately so many people have that drilled into them that what you your creative outlets or things that bring you passion really aren't the things that can make you money and yeah that's as you know that's not true so yeah eventually left your job i know that was a whole so, other story <laughs> so what um, how did you come about just deciding to leave what seemed like a pretty secure career and and just venture off onto your own Yet again, right? Uh-huh. Um, well, a few things. I, ever since I was a kid, I always thought I had, I always thought that life had a purpose and I had a purpose. I don't know what the purpose is, but I knew I had something. I was always uh-huh. waiting for that yellow top secret envelope to arrive and be like, this is your mission if you still choose to accept it. But it uh-huh. never came because that's not how purpose works. It doesn't come via FedEx. No. Um wouldn't that be and, nice, though? Oh, that'd be so that awesome. that be nice? Right? I think, <laughs> come on, let's just, we have stuff to do. Let's not, <laughs> I'm, you know, the essence here. Um, yeah. And I really loved teaching. When I was teaching, I taught for 10 years. I taught mm-hmm. Portuguese, I taught English and Portuguese. And I really did like teaching a lot, but I just didn't want to teach languages. And so even in New York, I was already exploring, like, what do I, how do I use what I like? I was very much on the whole, like, I need to, I always felt that what you like was a huge clue to what you could make a living off. I, I really do believe if you will write livelihood for me is that you're able to align what you enjoy, what you've got a natural talent for, with your passion, and then how we can serve people. To me, that is all part of, like, that's the kind of livelihood I want to have. Mm-hmm. And while being in a law firm did use some of my skills, uh, I just never felt connected to it. I just didn't really like the people I worked with in most, in general, they were good people. You know, I think if it wasn't for that, I might have left way sooner. But it just didn't fulfill that. It didn't feed my soul in that way. Mm -hmm. And so 
in, in having that time of just working in a law firm and doing the art, I realized, even in, during the Pacifica, towards the end of Pacifica, I really kind of realized I didn't want to pursue license and I didn't want to become a traditional therapist, which was a huge decision to make and very difficult to make mm-hmm. because I was going, I'm like, why am I investing all this money and not wanting to pursue license? So that was hard. It was yeah. really hard. I, for many years, I did feel like a failure, like, oh, I should have gone to the end. I kept thinking that I have to go back to what did I enjoy as a, a child, because that's the clue for me. Mm-hmm. And I've always been interested in psychology. No wonder I did go to Pacifica. I was interested in how people work. And I was always very interested in astrology. Although the, the years that I was in Pacifica, I didn't study astrology because I just had no time. No, it's like- <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't involved because it was like, it's too much. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, I want to bring that back. And, and actually, in reality, it was astrology that led me even further into psychology because when I really started studying astrology, uh, I said, okay, in my mid-20s, I said, I'm really going to study this. The first teacher I had introduced me to what we call psychological astrology. So, in essence, a lot of my beginnings in astrology were always psychological. So, kind of, they fed each other. Yeah, perfect. So I thought, okay, how do I match everything together? Then I was like, oh, I don't have to follow one path. I can try to mesh it. Mm-hmm. So, that's how the idea kind of came about. I was like, okay, I could do this. So I started looking into online courses, and I started looking into coaching for quite a while. I really considered getting training and coaching. And I remember talking to some coaching schools, and they're like, you already have a counseling degree. Why would you? You know, even they were like, <laughs> good. Um, right. So I was like, great, because I don't need you know, to spend more money on this. Uh-huh. And so I was kind of thinking about that and how to mesh it together. And I couldn't pull the trigger for a good chunk of time. Um, I was really afraid of doing it. And then my father was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. The hardening of the lungs, right? You can't can't breathe. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. So so he goes from being totally healthy, doesn't even need to take any, had no high blood pressure, nothing. Yeah. To... His health is, you know, diminishing by the minute. And he, it was either a lung transplant or, you know, a slow, but somewhat quick of a death, you know, because he was yeah. really, you could tell that it was really diminishes your health quickly. And so he, lucky enough, got a lung transplant. Wow. Okay. And so, when was this? I can't even remember. Maybe this was 2015, I think. Okay. He gets a lung transplant, and I go to New York to see him. He's in the hospital for like a week or so. And at one point, we're there, and he knew I hated the job, that I was just not satisfied. And he kept me saying, leave, do what you want to do. But I got him for the So he said, look, look at this, do it. Because look at me now, if it wasn't this transplant and stuff, you better hold on, you know, go do your thing. You know, life is short. Yeah. My father, the eternal Sagittarius optimist, you know, crisis is an opportunity. <laughs> like, just do it. I came back and I started, I still sat on it. 
and I decided, so this was, yeah, by now it's in the 2015, and even Jason was like, that's my husband, he's like, uh, just do it, you can do it. And so thankfully I had, If I think if it wasn't in some ways, my father's sort of be like, yay, and Jan, uh, Jason really being super supportive, mm-hmm. you know, having the partner say do it, because, you know, there were financial considerations. Yeah, definitely. Huge. Um, yes. And so finally by April of 2016, and by then, actually, at that point, I was seeing clients because I did sort of start kind of slowly. I, th- I thought that I had to hold the job for a while mm-hmm. and slowly build a, the business on the side. Mm-hmm. And I did try to go part-time, but the office just wouldn't have it. Because I think if they had given me part-time, I probably would have stayed longer in the job. You mm-hmm. know, and feel like I was, I was trying to be as cautious and as prepared as I could, right? And then by early 2016, I just couldn't do it anymore. I started feeling like I had quit the job before I had really quit the job. Yeah. I was always, it was never of my personality. I was always arriving late, leaving early. Ah, and uh-huh. it's like, that's just not how my work Yeah, your heart was. wasn't into it at all. I'm so not yeah. into it. I was so checked out. And so I thought, you know what? This is just not good for me. It's not good for them. Mm-hmm. So I give them notice and I'm going to leave in, in April. I live in. I leave the office mid-April, and I take the jump, take the leap. Jason was building the website for me. I'm going all in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what it is. The week I leave the office, I leave the job. My father is in the hospital, and he's now diagnosed with cancer, pretty aggressive cancer. So if he wasn't the, he was doing so well with the transplant. He was getting ready to travel and do all sorts of stuff, and then he gets this really aggressive cancer. So it was oh. like. He was really happy I quit the job. He was like, yeah, you did it. Yeah. And then it's this. So it's like in the midst of creating the business, my father is like, ah. Yeah, and you guys were pretty close. So it was like, oh, just hard. Yeah, hard. Really hard. Yeah, I, doing one of those things <laughs> is hard enough. <laughs> you know? So you have the job, which is yeah. kind of hard enough. You're yeah. all like, because well, you're doing your... Well, you were leaving the job. You were, you were venturing off to be self-employed without any guarantees. It never is. And how scary. And then thinking your dad, and then all of a sudden thinking your dad, who you just saw go through this horrible lung transplant. I mean, that's huge. Huge. (laughs) So you're thinking things are good, right? Which is also an extra trauma when you're hit with that second diagnosis, because in your mind, you think he's doing well and, and you're hopeful, and you're hopeful for your new, your new future as a yeah as an astrologer and living your passion, and then bam, bam! What a horrible, real. yeah, horrible thing to be hit with. So yeah, it was when, so discombobulating. Um, when was this? In you said 2016. 2016. So okay. by May, he gets the diagnosis. Yeah. that you know he's got a year to live. The doctor pretty much says a year. He had less than that, but, you know, that was the, the ballpark. Yeah. And so here you are trying to do, be, you know, doing a business. That's an exploration. Like, who am I? What am I doing? How am I showing up? Visibility, you know, all this good stuff. Yeah. Learning the ropes. And it tests. 
I feel like starting a business is like starting a new workout regime because all of a sudden you realize you had muscles you didn't know you had and mm-hmm. everything is sore. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so you're doing all that. And then, um, and my father's doing treatment, but it's not looking too well. And by January of 2017, the day after Trump takes over, my father dies. But that was like, <laughs> what a shit. That was Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yet another trauma. <laughs> that was the trauma of it. In of itself. I remember arriving in New York because the doctors are like, you better come, right? And I come, I arrive in New York. It was the day of the Women's March. So we had a hard time getting to the hospital because of the traffic. Wow. You know, so there was all that. So yeah. there's like a nation is traumatized. I'm traumatized by it. I think that's probably why there's an added charge for me around Trump. Because mm-hmm. um, my father was a Hillary fan, so <laughs> he voted. I mean, he still voted. Nice. <laughs> um, and so there was that. So he dies in January. And then there's a whole grief journey that I got to say, even though I, of course, right, I had all the psychotherapy training, I kind of had, in reality, I did not have a sense of what was coming. Yeah. On one hand, that was good. Um, on the other, so this was an interesting, to me, it was an interesting insight because I, I knew, like, the stages of grief. That was as much as I had. But it, anything that was going on with me was not matching that stage, the stages, right? Because they're not organized. They're not mm. in order. That's not how it happens. This is when, this was the experience I found that having all that training, I was very grateful for Pacifica and the experience I had there. Because even though it didn't, if you will, calm down the train of grief and the experience, it gave me deep resources that I at least knew where to go. I didn't feel unprepared in that sense. So I'm very grateful for that because I can't imagine going through deep grief without having any sort of sense of where do I look? What do I do? Right. Cause it's very difficult to communicate with people who have not gone through it. Yeah. Immediately a friend of mine said this and it was very true. The minute you lose something, a parent, especially, or someone really close, you join a club that you didn't want to join. Yes. And those who have never joined that club yet, they're not there yet. They, they can help you, but they don't quite understand what it is on that side. Very true. Yeah. And so I did find that it was, for me, the most helpful people were the ones who, in some ways, had gone through it in loss of a parent or something. Mm-hmm. That was helpful. And uh, the, the, the background of Pacifica did help me a lot just to know, okay, this is crazy. What do I do? But at least I knew where to go on a nice. certain level. Yeah. To look for something, uh, for some kind of help. Yeah. And then, funny enough, it's something like so you do it and then you're like, oh, God, nine months later exactly to the day I get married because I was, we were already planning on getting married mm-hmm. in 2017. So we decided to go ahead with it. And I remember, so I kind of hold until I did the wedding. After the wedding, I really cracked. So, yeah, so then you add a wedding, which is an amazing change. 
and transformation. It's beautiful yes. and positive. Yeah. But it is stressful. Whether you have a small wedding, big wedding, it's a huge change. So yeah, so obviously, <laughs> understandably, you would crack. All that crack. glue, all that glue that wasn't it wasn't yeah. permanent <laughs> was holding those cracks together. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I would say that I looking back now, I would say that for good three years, well, two and a half for sure, mm-hmm. I was kinda under the even if it was a sort of a thin veil of grief, it was there. Yeah. And I think it was towards the end of 2019 at some point, on a very normal day, I kind of felt like, oh, it's all of a sudden I was like, it's not there. I had a sort of a Claritin kind of day, you know, uh-huh. I don't have, I don't have spring uh, allergies, but I imagine it's the same sort of like right. you take Claritin and you're like, oh, oh. And, oh. And, you know, it was just a random day that I don't even know when it was on the calendar, yeah. but I was like, oh, it's not there anymore. Like, you become accustomed to it. You know, it's kind of there all the time. Yeah. So that's when I really felt the shift. Mm -hmm. shift. But trying to build a business in the midst of all that. So hard. There are parts of me there, you know, because I don't know about yourself, but I I have a PhD in self-flagellation. When people criticize, I'm like, honey, you know nothing. (laughs) You know, save your saliva. I'm way better than you are. Um, my criticism, my self-criticism will run around your criticism. So I, sometimes I look back and I think, oh, I could have done better. I could have done this. I could have done that. Why didn't I do this? Yeah. But then there are times I think, gosh, there was a lot of inner work, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the things you did during those two years that you can recall that that helped you get to that point where that day, that Claritin day? <laughs> I think, well, one of the things that, for me, stories and images are very helpful. Mm -hmm. One, it was fine, and I think it was kind of after the wedding, and I think this was the story that sort of helped. Because I had this, I I feel like I had physical symptoms of the grief, because I had a lot of muscle pain Mm -hmm. in my back. Yeah. And then I remember reading, it was like, oh, it's grief. I was like, okay. Um, I remember reading a Greek myth about um, one part of Odysseus' story that really stayed with me, and it's called lying down, lying down with seals. And that story, for whatever reason, like hit the nerve. It was like, oh, I get it. But that was one sort of story. It was good. And when I got to the worst of the, when the grief sort of, I feel like really broke. Mm-hmm. It happened to be, I don't know if you ever heard of this. They have it every November called NaNoWriMo. It's National Novel Writing Month. Oh yes, uh huh. Mm-hmm. I had tried to do it like a year, a couple of years before. So that year, for whatever reason, this I decided to do it, and I set myself the goal, the goal of fifty thousand words and all that stuff. And funny enough, I managed to do the fifty thousand words in the midst of all that crying. And I wrote, and I still have it, and I feel like I should go back and try to do it. a story about a boy facing journey through the landscape of grief. Yeah. So seeing the image, for me, like I work with astrology, and even in astrology, I think of the birth chart as a territory, as a country. Mm -hmm. So having that kind of image, it's like, oh, it's a landscape of grief. There are kind of unique parts of this geography. How do I journey through this? And also for me, funny enough, 
I don't know, do you know the actress Helen Mirren? Mm-hmm. She's a British actress. Yeah. In my mind, she's Lady Grief. So I would think she's Lady Grievana. And that I would have tea and scones with her, you know. So, <laughs> so to me, to have that sort of kind of whimsical image of like, oh, it's Lady Grievana. She looks like Helen Mirren. Ain't too bad. And, you know, I'm going through this landscape of grief. That was helpful, actually. Oh, what a wonderful um, visualization. Yeah. To me, the cool. story was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I guess you just go through it. It's like. Yep. <laughs> It's just there, yeah. you know? Um, sometimes it shows up like a bear. It's really shaking you and rattling you. Yeah. I also think having, I think your own spiritual belief help you for me. Mm-hmm. I have a sense that there is life after death and, you know. And I think it also, for me, in many ways, I felt that my father's death improved my relationship with him because I feel like, him on the other side, in his bigger sense of self, mm-hmm. he can see me differently than he saw me incarnated as my father, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I, I share, it's almost like I have him, I don't have to share him with anybody else now. Yeah. Right, I can have that link. So that's, that was a that's surprise. Beautiful. I didn't think I was going to see it that way. Yeah, that's um, kind of how I see with my mom, too. That's interesting. Beautiful. Yeah. Very yeah. comforting. The number one complaint I've always had is, like, I just wish wherever he is on the other side that he had a cell phone reception so he could call and be like, right. hey, this is what's <laughs> happening over here. <laughs> Let me tell you what's going on. Um, right. I agree. The, the, the lack of news, if right. you know what I mean. It's the worst. <laughs> I'm a person who loves my phone, so as you can tell. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you like conversations, back and forth. I like conversations. <laughs> so come on, tell me. Sometimes I look at my father's photo and I'm like, come on, Dad, what's happening over there? Right? <laughs> I'm sure you're having great adventures. Do share. Do share. Oh, um, love it. So I see it that way. Yeah. I, think it, I cannot conceptualize. Again, it's very foreign to me. It's like yeah. you die and that's it. I'm like, oh, that's so boring. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yes. Oh, I bet your dad, wherever wherever he is, is yeah. super proud. I mean, yeah. I you get that sense, I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, he kind of, it was his words that were yeah. Yeah. pushed you forward. That's why I really think more and more. In the 2020 has kind of really brought this home to me. I feel that one of the greatest challenges our culture has now is that we're actually quite literal. We're too literal. We can't, we see the world with one way and we forget to see how other things are alive and they speak to us. Much like we think our pets are speaking to us if you have pets. I do think the world is speaking to us and we're just so deaf to it that I think part of now it has kind of shifted the way I see my work um, in terms of I want to help people see that there are other ways of engaging and knowing that really do help us along the way. I mean, you make a 3,000 mile move because really the dream kind of said, yeah, go to Portland. <laughs> it didn't say go to Seattle, so I picked Portland uh-huh. you know, random. Uh, you know, my father, in you know, near death is like, go for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, we feel sometimes really alone and desperate, but it's like, well, if we were to open our eyes and ears a bit more, we could be like, oh, there are other ways of knowing a message is coming and other images and stories that could be helping you. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's in one of the ways that knowing your astrological chart will help. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like telling a story. Um, yeah. So I say to people, it, you know, if you want to start a business, I say it's an ego death. Yes. An aspect, an aspect of you or a few aspects of you will definitely die. Yes. And yes. they may kick and scream. Yes, they uh, will. Anyone. More than likely. <laughs> More than likely. They don't like to be made redundant. No. And the parts that will be made redundant about your personality may surprise you of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually, I do feel like you have to die in a certain way to give birth, even to a business, an aspect. I mean, I had to die as an employee yep. with a stable job. Yeah, to do this. Yeah, when people in the office asked me what I was doing and such, I remember saying and thinking and seeing this image that I was leaving the safety, quote unquote, of the castle to mm. go out into the forest. And who knew what I was going to meet in the forest? Trolls, a band of merry uh, outlaws like yeah. Robin Hood, uh-huh. or a dragon. Who knows? You are going into the forest, and you're just making your way. It's like coming out of the womb, too. It is. It is. And how many people, interesting, the way they responded to me telling them that I was leaving, really revealed revealed if they were jealous or fearful. What what they thought was really interesting, because I could tell a lot of people in the office were more, had this unconscious jealousy that I was going out after my dreams. And I could tell they felt they couldn't go after their dreams. Yes. Well, yeah. So in, in because of that, in many reasons, it changes your relationships with people mm-hmm. for yeah. sure, which is a uh, form of death in some ways. Yeah. So you lose, you do lose friends mm-hmm. um, or you gain others. It changes. Yeah, it's really, it's definitely changes in your yeah. way of seeing. Because I guess it ties in with, you know, being able to move to a different part of the country or move to a different country or yeah. do something you didn't think about. Yeah, it does take a bit of a kind of courage you thought you might, you didn't have. Yeah, and things will die. They'll be left behind but for new things to be birthed. So one thing I wanted to ask, because I love um, something that I've heard you say, is that you feel intellectually American, but in your heart and emotional life, you're Latin. And one of the other things I love about you (laughs) is all of your Brazilian sayings. So I think it would be awesome and totally fitting if you would send us out with one that might be relevant to... One of my favorite ones, and I think it has really felt uh, appropriate for 2020 and looks like this year as well. Yes. You can't please Greeks and Trojans. Yes. You can't please them. Um, oh, my God. That's so true. <laughs> and I think the Latin thing is just as was my mother always says, if you got a drop of Latin blood, it's strong. <laughs> I think there's a Latin blood to me. And this I'm considering the whole Mediterranean sort of, you know, Italy, Portugal, mm-hmm. all that, Latin America. I feel like you're always a bit close, very close to what I think Western culture would deem irrational and lunacy, but also whimsical and wild. 
No. You know, Latin people are known, like it or not, they're known for passion. And I think passion puts you right on the road of there's a bit of risk, there's a bit of, it's not, it's irrational, Yeah. you know? And so I still feel that at, at an emotional level, I'm a bit like, I either love you or I hate you, there's no middle ground. <laughs> I admire the, the the intellect, the ability of the information and seeing things rationally. It's like, and so I think that in, in that part, I'm, I'm American in that sense. I mm-hmm. feel American, but I think there's always a part of me that feels slightly wild in my own head. I, mean, I don't look, I don't think I look wild at all or do anything <laughs> that's really wild, but I mean, I'm a pumpkin by 9 p.m., but um, <laughs> I do feel there's something of that. You move. emotionally engage, it's like, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's wild. All the things that you've just talked about in our conversation today, those are, those are things that would look to some as quote-unquote crazy. <laughs> but not to you and I. No. I, 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 see, I see it as, as major brave, bravery, passion. It's awesome. I think more yeah. people need to, to follow those angel dreams and those – those things said by the ones that love us and believe in us definitely yeah. need to listen to that. So. Yeah. Well, Vanessa, I appreciate you being here as Thank always. You. And Thank I you. look forward to someday listening to new podcast episodes mm-hmm. from you in the future. Sometimes. Yes. I'm still, I'm still sitting on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks Vanessa. You're welcome. Hi, I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. Join me every Wednesday for open, honest, and real conversations about change, transformation, and resilience to inspire and empower you. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find verified wellness professionals and holistic health resources at HealingWays. That's Healing, W-A-Z-E.com. Have you ever done something that, although it may have seemed totally crazy to some, you just knew that you had to do it? I have, many times, and in every case, no matter how challenging the outcome, I have no regrets. All of those choices have created paths to lead me to where I am now and where I'm still going. Right now, I, like many of us, are in a really strange place in my life. I've never been one to stay in a place for too long, whether that be a home, city, or even a state. Five years is the longest I've ever lived in my parents' house at 17. The pandemic has made me feel very stuck in many ways, and I've been feeling the tug of adventure pulling on me so strong. I think that tug is even stronger after my conversation with Vanessa Kudo, today's guest. Vanessa immigrated to the U.S. from Brazil when she was just 10 years old. Her lifetime quest to bridge what she loves, her interests, and her livelihood has driven her to follow her dreams no matter where they may take her and no matter how scary they may seem. She now lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, by the way of the East Coast, where she spent the later half of her childhood and some of her college years. Vanessa holds a degree in counseling psychology, which you'll learn in this episode came in pretty handy when she was forced to navigate the death of her father while also birthing a business. While chatting, she told me that she always thought that life had a purpose and that she had a purpose. And I couldn't agree more. Life does have a purpose. And so do all of us. Have you found your purpose or are you still searching? Either way, I think you're going to really enjoy listening to the conversation. Stick around to the end to see how you can connect with Vanessa. 
Spring already. is in the air. Yeah. It's definitely in the air. Sounds good. Makes me happy. A bit of sun. Yeah, it's energizing, right? Kind it's of energizing. Fuels those creative juices and sense of renewal and hope and all this chaos that we've been dealing all with that for good stuff, right? over a year. <laughs> yeah. Because by March, normally by March, I'm like, this winter, wrap it up. We're over. So it's nice that, you know, spring is coming. And as much as spring can be a bit fickle and kind of all over the place in the weather, but it's just nice to see the flowers blooming again. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So speaking of blooming, we're going to talk a little bit about you and how you, well, a lot about you. It's going to be all about you. We're not going to talk about about me. It really is all about you. (laughs) Uh, so as mentioned in your intro, um, you are originally from Brazil and yes. you moved to New York when you were young. I was 10. 10 when you moved to New York. And then after New York, you kind of moved all over. The, did you move all over on the East Coast for a while before I you came to Portland? Yeah, actually, when I was 10 and we came to America, I did, li- I did move to New Jersey. Okay. That's important note. That's where I learn English. Uh, so I lived in New Jersey for a couple of years, and then I went back to Brazil, and I was in Brazil for a couple of years, and then I came back again when I was 14, I think, and I moved to Cape Cod in Massachusetts, so that's where I went to high school. And then I went back to Brazil again, and I did college in Brazil, and I stayed for a couple of more years. And then in my mid-late 20s, I came back, and then I went to New York City. And I lived in New York City for six years before moving to Portland. Okay. And what did you um, get your degree in when you went to college? So my undergrad is actually in advertising okay. um, and communication. And then I, in New York, when I was in New York, I did my master's in education from NYU um, because when I was in Brazil, um, to pay my way through college and everything, I started teaching English as a foreign language. And I really liked teaching. I took to it. So when I got to New York, I did a master's in teaching. I was already actually teaching Portuguese uh, at the community college in New York, uh, Hunter College. And so I went to NYU, but then kind of halfway through the course, I was like, gosh, I don't want to teach languages anymore. Not like this. And I really started thinking about, I wanted to do more on the counseling, more psychology oriented. And then when I was still in New York, um, I started going to Pacifica. Uh, Graduate Institute, which is in Santa Barbara, California. Because as you do, you live in New York City and you study in the West Coast, right? Because that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's the, 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 you know, talk about a short commute, right? Right. Um, uh, the way Pacifica's program was, and I think it still is, you would go for a long weekend once a month. Oh. Like you would, do, you would have classes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was pretty intense, just hour-wise. You, you're, it, was in, it was learning by sort of the water hose method. And so I would fly for one year. I flew from New York once a month all the way to California to three, three days of full classes and then take the red eye back to New York. Whoa. Arrive, go home, 
change and go to the office. I worked at a, at the time I worked at a, a pretty big law firm, one of the four. There's this thing in law, in law firms, I think it's, if you think lawyers are not magical, this is the one thing that shows you they can be a little magical. Um, it's one of the law firms that belongs to the magical, the magic circle. There are four biggest law firms in the world. And they Ooh. considered themselves the, you know, the magic circle. And I think, <laughs> oh, lawyers, and this is the humor. So a pretty prominent British, um, is a British law firm. Okay. So I would, you know, fly, fly the red eye, be, my, be with my head full of all the stuff, learning about psychology, and then go straight into work and just analyze the people I worked with, you know, just looking at their behavior and being like, everybody needs therapy. Um, and so in the midst of that year, um, it was really, really hard to do that, you know. Yeah. And, and the second year of my program, I had to find a, tra- uh, a trainingship, um, you know, a place that I could start training. And I just couldn't see how I was going to do that in New York and he still work full time. And so I started thinking about moving. I was already thinking about leaving New York for quite a while. It was not a, a new idea. But I was like, well, I could try Santa Barbara. But actually, I didn't want to go to Santa Barbara, even though the school was there, because it was just so expensive. And, mm-hmm. and in my mind, to be honest, it just didn't have the New York grit. It was a bit too much for me The I kind of felt like it was beautiful. It's a beautiful place. I mean, it's where Oprah has her house. And I was going to say, everybody's Megan like and Harry are there now. Sunny you know? and bright and cheer, super cheerful. Cheer but I, I felt that if I moved to Santa Barbara, I would need to, like, have plastic surgery or Botox. No, joking aside. But it was just really actually quite expensive. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to leave New York. That's already expensive to go to a more expensive place. And I had my roommate at the time, my friend in New York, she was moving to Seattle. So I thought, oh, I could just go to Seattle. And I had classmates from Seattle. Because the, the interesting thing about the program at Pacifica, you have people from different parts of the country. Yeah, I even had people from coming from Canada. And so I, but there I had two classmates that were from Portland. And they said, why don't you visit Portland? Check it out. And so I came to Portland like on a weekend just to see, just to have a vibe. Mm-hmm. And I remember them saying to me, it's like, come when it's raining because everybody comes when it's sunny in the summer and they fall in love and they want to come. And then they're like disappointed for nine months. So <laughs> yeah. I said, sure enough. So I think it was March. Yeah. And I, I remember it was Oscar weekend or something. And I came and it was raining. It rained the whole weekend. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and I got a vibe for the city and I was like, sure, sure enough. But I didn't make my decision. And then the, I think three weeks later or so, I went to Seattle for the first time to check it out as well. Um, I went to Seattle and I was like, sure, it looks pretty majestic. This is a possibility. My roommate was moving to Seattle. That would have made it, would have made it kind of easier, you know, because mm-hmm. we could get a place together again. So I had already sort of taken out Santa Barbara completely. And what I did, very counterintuitive, was I told my landlord in New York that I was moving within know, a couple of three, uh, three months. Okay. In three months, I was moving out. 
I told my job that I was moving. So I gave them this really long notice. Everybody thought I was crazy. But when everybody kept asking me, so where are you moving to? I said, I don't know yet, but I'm moving. Nice. That's my style. (laughs) And I started packing. And I started packing without knowing I hadn't quite made a decision yet. And partly I did that because I felt that if I didn't take that step, I might still stick around. Mm -hmm. I was afraid. And truth be told, for a bit, I was like, why did I do that? I should just stay in New York and, you know, I still have the job and I'll find a traineeship. I did go on a couple of, you know, I had a couple of phone interviews to do the traineeship and stuff. And I couldn't decide. And then, and I was in this sort of like, oh, my God. I know I'm packing. I know I got to go. I have the, the, the date. And, then I'm, and the date that I was moving out of the house where I lived was on my birthday. And so I was like, I really had to, to do it. Yeah. And I couldn't decide. And then I had a dream. And the dream was, and it's very vivid to this day for me because never before or after I had a dream of angels. The angels showed up. Interesting. And in the dream, I was water, why water rafting? And I knew it was a river in Oregon. And in the boat with me was my friend from New York, who was my roommate, whose name is Allison. Mm-hmm. And then the other friend was my classmate from Portland, one of my classmates from Portland, whose name was also Allison. They were both in the boat with me. So that's interesting. One, one from Portland, one from Seattle. Yeah. And I was in the front of the boat, and they were behind me. And we got to a point in the dream where you're going down the ra- you know, the, the water, and then it got to a point that it was a drop cliff. You know, you had to actually jump out of the boat, you know, because it was all just going to be a free fall. Yeah. And as we were getting to that edge... I knew in the dream that I had to be the first one to jump because if I didn't jump, they couldn't get out either. And in the dream, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And so in the dream, I closed my eyes. And once I closed my eyes, I could see, kind of if you will, with my mind's eye in the dream, that there were angels everywhere. And they would sort of shimmer. I could see their form and shape. Mm-hmm. But they were kind of shimmer. So they looked invisible, but they were shimmering a little bit. So you can kind of see there was something, right? Yeah. And they touched me. They grabbed me. They hold me by the arms. And I could feel them firmly but gently as well holding me. And they just carry me out of the boat, down this pretty substantial cliff. And at the very bottom, what I saw was the fire department for Portland. and when I get to the bottom when they land me at the bottom there's the TV crew there's the the firemen and all that they were waiting and in the dream I was like oh you made it you won you you arrived and so they kind of sort of carry me off to like there's a party happening and kind of then the dream sort of um, morphs you know the dreams tend to morph and I remember waking up and being like well it was not the fire department in Seattle. <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> so I kind of was like, I think Portland it is. The Angels did not carry me to Seattle. They carried me to the fire department in Portland. And so I think within a short couple of weeks, I, I got a phone interview, or maybe soon, really, I have a phone interview with a a training place, you know, a counseling place here in Portland. And I had great rapport with the woman who was going to be my supervisor. And I think she was from Newark. It happened that she was originally from Newark, which I had lived in Harrison, New Jersey, which is next to Newark. Uh-huh. And so this it had that East Coast connection there. And she was like, on the spot, she was like, the, the position is yours if you want to take the traineeship and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, all right, Portland it is. And so then, you know, all systems go. Mm-hmm. And I when think was, I... When was this? How long ago? Uh, 2006, so okay. 15 years. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I remember I sent all the stuff I had through the movers. And then my classmate, the Allison classmate, mm-hmm. she had a neighbor or somebody she knew that lived near her. They were renting a room, so I contacted them, and so I was able to have a place to arrive. And I came with two suitcases that I could carry in the airplane, and the rest of the stuff was coming with the movers like a month later. And and I came without a job. I was like, all right. I Great. tried. I tried to get a job before getting here, but everybody was pretty much, nah, when you're in town, I was like, oh, God, here I go. And thankfully, within a month, I found a job at a local, I'm not a, I mean, it's a, another law firm here, but they have offices in the East Coast as well. And one of the reasons, I, funny enough, I get the job because the, 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 who I was going to work with was originally from Boston. <laughs> so I had, again, another East Coast connection. Yeah. And she was really pleased that I had worked at a for a pretty prominent law firm in New York, and so she was like, "Okay, you can handle it." <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I got the job, I got the traineeship, and that's almost fifteen years ago. Wow. So when I say I moved to Portland on a dream, I mean it really helped me make the decision. What a clear then, message in your dream. It was really clear. Um, yeah. I thought it was really clear. And then the other thing that was kind of interesting was that now that I knew I was coming to Portland, um, it was around the time that that sort of movie slash documentary, What the Bleep Do We Know? or Oh, yeah. Something. Yeah, I think it is What the Bleep Do We Know? Yeah, it came out uh-huh. and on DVD. And so I, I had that. I was watching it. And I really liked it. I watched it a lot. But one of the opening scenes is the main character. She's kind of getting on the max train and all this stuff. And I remember watching that a lot again and again because I was actually trying to see the snippets that would show Portland. Mm-hmm. But funny enough, I got an apartment because I lived in this place that I first landed for only a couple of months. And then I found my boss who I was working with. She was moving in with her now husband. And she was like, I'm letting go of my apartment. Do you want it? So I took her lease. And it was near the max station that I saw in the What the Bleep Do We Know. Interesting. That's so I had cool. seen that so much, I ended up getting a place. To, and then one of the characters in that movie um, ended up being one of the ladies I worked with in the other law firm that I ended up going to work at. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. And we're still friends. So it's funny, like how it all. <laughs> uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Moving across the country on a dream, really. Um, really. What, what do you think, looking back, because not everybody is able to do that. That's, I mean, that takes some real courage. What, where do you think that's come from? Like that you're the type of person that can do that. And yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you were, there were a lot of times you were scared. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but like what just kept you going, going like, I'm just doing this. Well, funny enough at the time when I said, when I finally could tell people I'm moving to Portland, uh, cause everybody's like, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I remember some people being like, so are you going to go granola on us now and Birkenstock? And I'm like, no. Um, but a lot of my friends in New York were like, you're, you're crazy. Like most people say I'm going to move. They're like, I'm going to move to the next borough or the next couple of streets over, you know, and you're going to just move 3,000 miles away. Uh-huh. And even when I left Brazil to go to New York, um, the third time right there, like, mm-hmm. so I was leaving, you know, my failed marriage and I was like, I'm not sticking around. And even in Brazil, my friends were like, what are you doing? How can you just up and leave? You know, within, I think within five weeks of he, him and I sort of being like calling it quits. I was like, I'm on my flight to New York, you know, again, no job. Yeah. Uh, just going. Granted in New York, I did have my father and my stepmother, so I had a place to land. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's kind of hard to say. I just always had this, maybe because I left my country at a young age, mm-hmm. um, 10, you know, so I already had that experience of, like, major move. Mm-hmm. Without, and knowing that it's scary, but that you figured it out. Like You, you figured were, it out. Yeah. yeah. I think a little bit, too, is from my own parents. My own parents had the, 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 I mean, they're the ones who initiated those those early moves. Mm -hmm. I think my father and my mother, both in their own way, had this ability to be like, all right, we got to go do it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's opportunity and you just got to do it. I think my father perhaps had a bit of a, uh, more of a sense of the adventure, I think, on a certain level. The move to the U.S. Uh, definitely was my father's, uh, more of his idea in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a bit of that, mm-hmm. maybe kind of in the DNA. But I think on a on a personal level, on a personality level, maybe I'm just always like, I've always been mystified, very curious. But also, it's very foreign to me when I meet people who have never left where they've been born, mm-hmm. or not to mention even traveled abroad. I, I'm just like you. You're like from another planet. <laughs> like, tell me what is going on inside. I just, I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm very curious. I don't understand it. And at the same time, there's a level of like I respect that, but I could not do it. Um, oh, I agree. It, it, it seems a bit like it's a whole big world. Why not try something else? Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And so I think it was a bit of that. Because even when I told my father at the time that I was coming, he was like, at first, he actually at first didn't like it. He was like, what? And then pretty soon after, he was like, oh, I get it. You just, you know, you just need to go and 
he, he joked and said, oh, you really wanted to go to Japan, but you decided to stop halfway, you know, <laughs> not go all the way. But, and then later on, when he came to visit, um, he said, you, he, one day he said to me, he's like, you did what I didn't do. You went further. You oh. went further out. You really kind of sort of got into the country, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He felt like, well, he stayed always in the East Coast, always very close to the Brazilian community, always, and he felt that he could have gone further, and it's in his mind, if you will, gone native, really deep into the yeah. into American culture. And he said that I had done it. Yeah. So I was, I would say I was probably one of the first ones in my family that went further out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because a lot of my family did come to the U.S., but they kind of stay around Cape Cod, New York, New, you know, Florida area. Yeah. East Coast. And I do have a cousin who lives in California, but um, I would say I was probably the first one that came out. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, it's something that I'm just remembering now. I felt at a young age when we came to America that, well, it wasn't really my choice. Right? My parents came. And I had to come. Mm-hmm. And so especially when I was a teenager, it was a bit like, oh, I don't want to leave my friends, you know? <laughs> yep. But I also, as I grew older, I realized I wanted to make a move. I wanted to do something where I could stick my flag and be like, this is mine. I did it. I didn't come because of my parents. I didn't come because I was leaving a failed marriage, you know? I didn't go move here or there because of a person. Mm-hmm. I was doing it for me. And that was important. I yeah. think that was a driving force as well to be like, I'm claiming something that's mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's because then I just have that independent spirit of being like, oh, there's another way, another place to go. But it really tested courage because you're doing it with a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Fear is out of a, in the back seat, you know, throwing judgment yes. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it was real a real gamble in many ways, you know, because I especially because I came without a job. Um, but it was a test of like assumptions I might had had about myself. Um, you know, I came. I did have the two classmates, but they were not close, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer in touch with them. So really, in some ways, they helped then and then, you know, dissipated. Yeah. I made friends through the job I got, so that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And and I just kept at it. It was a real test of finding my way. Yeah. It was kind of like coming to America for me the second, um, in a way, in my <laughs> own in my own terms. Because that was uh-huh. really then I felt in a more of a foreign place because... Even though it's the same country, there's cultural differences, East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, totally. It has its own uniqueness. And I was really here kind of on my own. And I left, uh, symbolically, really, I left the house in New York on my birthday. And I remember the movers coming to get the stuff and being like, so why are you moving out there? And many of them, well, they were like, oh, you're moving because you have a boyfriend there. I'm like, no, I'm just moving there. And they were, even the movers were like, what? You crazy woman. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, so you got here and that was 15 years ago and your life I know. has changed a ago. lot in 15 years. So uh, much. I never thought I'd, I, I thought I'd be here for like a year because I knew I had to do the traineeship uh-huh. and that was like for sure a year. I never thought 15. It's the longest I've ever lived in a place. Great. Wow. Not even Brazil. I've lived this long. Mm-hmm. All in the same time. Like, I lived yeah. in Brazil like 10 years, and then two, and then eight. So now, Portland's the place I've lived the longest. Uh-huh. So when that year came around, what made you stay? Did you just love it at that point? I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, I made good friends here. I liked the city. It was a good size for me. Because mm-hmm. I was in New York, and as much as I love New York, there are many things I love about New York, and I still miss about New York. New York is intense. It's not a city that I chose because I wanted to go to New York. I I went to New York because my father was in New York, and yeah. I thought at least I'll have a couch to you know surf for a bit mm-hmm. until I find where I want to go. Actually, my dream was to go to England. Uh-huh. I, uh, I, while I was in New York, I looked instead of doing the master's in education in New York like I did, I actually applied to go to England and I got accepted to go to England. Last minute, I was like, oh, you know, I I had, you know, I was, I was like, no, maybe it's too much. I kind of, I got chicken out, totally chicken out. And so even my friends in New York are like, and you moving to Portland? Like, you go in the opposite direction, <laughs> right? Know your geography. It's, you know, the other way. Right. And so actually when I finished Pacifica, which was what, 2008, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2008. I did the graduation and all that. This is when the, the economy went bust. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I remember I I, lo- I was laid off from the law firm that I had the job. Oh, okay. And, and on the same week that I was graduating. Lovely. And it was the same <laughs> week of my birthday. So it was like, lose your job on a Thursday, have your birthday, and graduate by the other weekend. Yeah, so it was all compounded. So I it actually it was interesting. I lost the job on Thursday. My father kind of came because he was going with me to California for my graduation. He arrived like on a Friday the next day. <laughs> we did California, and I was like, "What do I do? I don't have a job." And you know, so I I thought about I might go back to New York, but then I also thought, "Oh, this is my chance. I could apply for the PhD and go to England. I could go to England." Mm-hmm. So in the fall, I already had gotten a job, another job here, which was the last law firm I worked at. Mm-hmm. I did go to England. I did go to the university I was thinking of applying. I did talk to the professors there, you know, that could have been my advisors. Mm-hmm. I did the whole visit. I looked at it. But I remember feeling like every newspaper I saw, the world is going up in flames because the economy is shut, yeah. shut down. And then I thought, oh, I don't think it might be the best time to come to England right now in the midst of a, an economic meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I put that off. And and then I, but I also didn't like the university either. So I was like, I don't think I want to dedicate a PhD to a place that I'm not jazzed about. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in Portland and sort of hunkered down um, because the economy went crazy. And I was so exhausted. I was very tired. Uh, mentally, 
from the program because it was really intense, two and a half years of a lot of work, even though you would go only once a month, but it was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And the whole time I had worked full time and I had done the traineeship, I had to do 20 hours a week. Wow. Seeing clients as a therapist while working full time and doing the school work. Wow. Yeah. Acupuncture kept me alive. <laughs> really, I would go to acupuncture every other week just to sort of, you know, balance my chi. Yeah. So by the time I graduated and did all that, I was so tired that I think for the next two years, I could not have a deep thought about anything. <laughs> what? I was reading romance novels. My oh, my. worried about me. Yeah, that... I never read romance novels. I was like, I can only take fluff. Just give me fluff. Anything that it requires intellect, forget yeah. about it. I can't even imagine <laughs> you being like that. Yeah, you were tired. For I was sure. really tired. Yeah. I remember my skin broke out. I was super exhausted. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so how did you bring yourself back from that exhaustion? What did you do? Good thing is I, I had the job, which was stressful. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go back to the law firms. I was so done. It was being a working law firms for me, which I ended up working for like 16 years. It was the most accidental career ever. <laughs> and cause I never, that was not my intention. I came back to myself by, um, thankfully, one of the, the great consequences of going to Pacifica and maybe having so much exhaustion is that it brought me back to my own art. I used to love doing art. I was always doing art as a kid. It was never encouraged in the family. My parents thought it was just a fad. It was It was always looked down on. Interesting. And so for 16 years, I shut it down. I didn't do art. And so now that I was just working, and I kind of felt really called towards the end of the program at Pacifica, I kind of got back to drawing. And then so the next couple of years, I really sort of allowed myself to buy the art supplies and play and take some workshops. And and I started doing art again. And lo and behold, I started selling commission pieces. People be like, oh, I'll pay you if you want to draw. So the, the first paid piece was a, a co-worker's dog. I had to draw the dog. And I was so happy. I was like, oh, my God, somebody's actually paying me to do a drawing. Yeah. Activate a different part of myself. Uh-huh. Because I had done a lot of mental work. Mm-hmm. In the- oh, yeah, I'm sure. Going to really school. pushed me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, that create- those creative outlets can really center us, bring us back, yeah. ground us for sure. So, and I love that you were able to start making money doing it too. That's awesome. No, I was just kind of like, oh my God. Cause you know, I grew up with this whole, like, you can't make money with it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a fad. It's just, it's nothing, you know? So that was nice confirmation. Yeah. Well, I think unfortunately so many people have that drilled into them that what you, your creative outlets or things that bring you passion really aren't the things that can make you money. And yeah, that's, as you know, that's not true. So yeah. eventually left your job. I know. That was a whole so, other story. So what, um, how did you come about just deciding to leave what seemed like a pretty secure career and, and just venture off onto your own? Yet again, right? Uh-huh. Um, well, a few things. 
I, ever since I was a kid, I always thought I had, I always thought that life had a purpose and I had a purpose. I don't know what the purpose is, but I knew I had something. I was always uh-huh. waiting for that yellow top secret envelope to arrive and be like, this is your mission if you still choose to accept it. But it uh-huh. never came because that's not how purpose works. It doesn't come via FedEx. No. Um wouldn't that be and, nice, though? Oh, that'd be so awesome. that be nice? <laughs> I, I think, come on, let's just, we have stuff to do. Let's not, <laughs> time, you know, is of essence here. Um, yeah. And I really loved teaching. When I was teaching, I taught for 10 years. I taught mm-hmm. Portuguese, I taught English and Portuguese, and I really did like teaching a lot, but I just didn't want to teach languages. And so even in New York, I was already exploring, like, what do I, how do I use what I like? I was very much on the whole, like, I need to, I always felt that what you like was a huge clue to what you could make a living off. I, I really do believe if you will write livelihood for me is that you're able to align what you enjoy, what you've got a natural talent for, with your passion, and then how we can serve people. To me, that is all part of, like, that's the kind of livelihood I want to have. Mm-hmm. And while being in a law firm did use some of my skills, uh, I just never felt connected to it. I just didn't really like the people I worked with in most, in general, they were good people. You know, I think if it wasn't for that, I might have left way sooner. But it just didn't fulfill that. It didn't feed my soul in that way. Mm-hmm. And so in, in having that time of just working in a law firm and doing the art, I realized even in during the Pacifica, towards the end of Pacifica, I really kind of realized I didn't want to pursue license and I didn't want to become a traditional therapist, which was a huge decision to make and very difficult to make mm-hmm. because I was going, I'm like, why am I investing all this money and not wanting to pursue license? So that was hard. It was yeah. really hard. I, it, for many years, I did feel like a failure, like, oh, I should have gone to the end. I kept thinking that I have to go back to what did I enjoy as a, a child because that's the clue for me. Mm-hmm. And I've always been interested in psychology. No wonder I did go to Pacifica. I was interested in how people work. And I was always very interested in astrology. Although the the years that I was in Pacifica, I didn't study astrology because I just had no time. I, was <laughs> I, like... wasn't, I wasn't involved because it was like, it's too much. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, I want to bring that back. And... And actually, in reality, it was astrology that led me even further into psychology because when I really started studying astrology, uh, I said, okay, in my mid-20s, I said, I'm really going to study this. The first teacher I had introduced me to what we call psychological astrology. So, in essence, a lot of my beginnings in astrology were always psychological, so kind of they fed each other. Yeah, perfect. So I thought, okay, how do I mesh everything together? Then I was like, oh, I don't have to follow one path. I can try to mesh it. Mm-hmm. So that's how the idea kind of came about. I was like, okay, I could do this. So I started looking into online courses, and I started looking into coaching for quite a while. I really considered getting training and coaching. And I remember talking to some coaching schools, and they are like, you already have a counseling degree. Why would you? You know, <laughs> even they were like, good. Um, right. So I was like, great, because I don't need you know to spend more money on this. Uh-huh. And so I was kind of thinking about that and how to mesh it together. 
And I couldn't pull the trigger for a good chunk of time. Um, I was really afraid of doing it. And then my father had, was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis, the hardening of the lungs, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you start, you can't breathe. Oh, my gosh, that's horrible. So, so he goes from being totally healthy, doesn't even need to take any, had no high blood pressure, nothing. Yeah. To his health is, you know, diminishing by the minute. And he, it was either a lung transplant or, you know, a slow, but somewhat quick of a death, you know, because he was yeah. really, you could tell that it was really diminishes your health quickly. And so he, lucky enough, got a lung transplant. Wow, okay. And so, when was this? I can't even remember. Maybe this was 2015, I think. Okay. He gets a lung transplant, and I go to New York to see him. He's in the hospital for like a week or so. And at one point, we're there, and he knew I hated the job that I was just not satisfied. And he kept me saying, leave, do what you want to do. But I got him for the trigger. So he said, look, look at this, do it. Because look at me now, if it wasn't this transplant and stuff, you better hold a, you know, go do your thing. You know, life is short. Yeah. My father, the eternal Sagittarius optimist, you know, crisis is an opportunity. <laughs> like, just do it. I came back and I said, I still sat on it. <laughs> And I decided, so this was, yeah, by now it's in the 2015. And even Jason was like, that's my husband. He's like, oh, just do it. You can do it. And so thankfully I had, If I think if it wasn't in some ways, my father's sort of be like, yay. And Jan, uh, Jason really being super supportive, mm-hmm. you know, having that partner say do it. Because, you know, there were financial considerations. Yeah, definitely. Huge. Um, yes. And so finally, by April of 2016, and by then, actually, at that point, I was seeing clients because I did sort of start kind of slowly. I, th- I thought that I had to hold the job for a while mm-hmm. and slowly build the, the business on the side. Mm-hmm. And I did try to go part time, but the office just wouldn't have it. Because I think if they had given me part time, I probably would have stayed longer in the job you mm-hmm. know feel like I was I was trying to be as cautious and as prepared as I could right and then by early 2016 I just couldn't do it anymore I started feeling like I had quit the job before I had really quit the job yeah. I was always it was never of my personality I was always arriving late leaving early ah, and uh-huh. it's like that's just not how my work yeah your heart was. wasn't into it at all I'm so not yeah. into it I was so checked out and so I thought, you know what? This is just not good for me. It's not good for them. Mm-hmm. So I give them notice, and I'm going to leave in in April. I live in. I leave the office mid-April, and I take the jump, take the leap. Jason was building the website for me. I'm going all in. You know, mm-hmm. um, it is what it is. The week I leave the office, I leave the job. My father is in the hospital, and he's now diagnosed with cancer. Pretty aggressive cancer. So if he wasn't the, he was doing so well with the transplant, he was getting ready to travel and do all sorts of stuff, and then he gets this really aggressive cancer. So it was like, he was really happy I quit the job. He was like, yeah, you did it, yeah. And then it's this. So it's like in the midst of creating the business, my father is sick. Not 
Yeah, and you guys were pretty close. So it was like, oh, just hard. Yeah, hard. Really hard. Yeah, I, doing one of those things is hard enough. <laughs> you know? So you have the job, which is yeah. kind of hard enough. You're yeah. all like, because well, you're in the you're leaving the, well, you were leaving the job. You were you were venturing off to be self-employed without any guarantees. It never is. And how scary. And then thinking your dad, and then all of a sudden thinking your dad, who you just saw go through this horrible lung transplant. I mean, that's huge. Huge. With this. So you're thinking things are good, right? Which is also an extra trauma when you're hit with that se- second diagnosis. Because in your mind, you think he's doing well and... And you're hopeful, and you're hopeful for your new, your new future as a yeah. as an astrologer and living your passion. And then, bam, bam! What a horrible, real. yeah, horrible thing to be hit with. So yeah, it was when, so discombobulating. Um, when was this? In you said 2016. 2016. So okay. by May, he gets the diagnosis. Yeah. that you know he's got a year to live. The doctor pretty much says a year. He had less than that, but, you know, that was the, the ballpark. Yeah. And so here you are trying to do, be, you know, doing a business. That's an exploration. Like, who am I? What am I doing? How am I showing up? Disability, you know, all this good stuff. Yeah. Learning the ropes. And it tests. I feel like you're starting a business is like starting a new workout regime. Because all of a sudden you realize you had muscles you didn't know you had and everything mm-hmm. is sore. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so you're doing all that. And then, um, and my father's doing treatment, but it's not looking too well. And by January of 2017, the day after Trump takes over, my father dies. So that was like, <laughs> what a shame. There was, was Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yet another trauma. (laughs) That was the trauma. I remember arriving in New York because the doctors are like, you better come, right? And I come, I arrive in New York. It was the day of the Women's March. So we had a hard time getting to the hospital because of the traffic. Wow. So there was all that. So there's like a nation is traumatized. I'm traumatized, right? I think that's probably why there's an added charge for me around Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, Because my father was a Hillary fan. So he voted. I mean, he still voted. Nice. (laughs) Um, And so there was that. So he dies in January. And then there's a whole grief journey that I got to say, even though I, of course, right, I had all the psychotherapy training, I kind of had, in reality, I did not have a sense of what was coming. Yeah. On one hand, that was good. Um, on the other, well, so this was the interesting, to me, that was an interesting insight because I, I knew like the stages of grief. That was as much as I had. But it, anything that was going on with me was not matching that stage, the stages, right? Because they're not organized. They're not mm. in order. That's not how it happens. This is when, this was the experience I found that having all that training, I was very grateful for Pacifica and the experience I had there. Because even though it didn't, if you will, calm down the train of grief and the experience, none of that, it gave me deep resource that I at least knew where to go. I didn't feel unprepared. 
in that sense. So I'm very grateful for that because I can't imagine going through deep grief without having any sort of sense of where do I look? What do I do? Right? Because it's very difficult to communicate with people who have not gone through it. Yeah. Immediately, a friend of mine said this, and it was very true. The minute you lose something, a parent especially, or someone really close, you join a club that you didn't want to join. Yes. And those who have never joined that club yet, they're not there yet, they, they can help you, but they don't quite understand what it is on that side. Very true. Yeah. And so I did find that it was, for me, the most helpful people were the ones who, in some ways, had gone through it in loss of a parent or something. Mm-hmm. That was helpful. And uh, the, the, the background of Pacifica did help me a lot just to know, okay, this is crazy. What do I do? But at least I knew where to go on a nice. certain level. Yeah. To look for something, uh, for some kind of help. Yeah. And then, funny enough, it's something like so you do it and then you're like, oh, God, nine months later exactly to the day I get married because I was, we were already planning on getting married mm-hmm. again. 2017 so we decided to go ahead with it and I remember so I kind of hold until I did the wedding after the wedding I really cracked so yeah so then you add a wedding which is an amazing change and transformation it's beautiful and positive yeah but it is stressful whether you have a small wedding big wedding it's a huge change so yeah so obviously (laughs) understandably you would crack all I that crack. glue all that glue that was it wasn't yeah. permanent was <laughs> holding those cracks together yeah and i would say that i looking back now i would say that for good three years well two and a half for sure mm-hmm. i was kind of under the even if it was a sort of a thin veil of grief it was there yeah and I think it was towards the end of 2019 at some point, on a very normal day, I kind of felt like, oh, it's all of a sudden I was like, it's not there. I had a sort of a Claritin kind of day, you know, uh-huh. I don't have, I don't have spring uh, allergies, but I imagine it's the same sort of like right. you take Claritin and you're like, oh, oh. Can, oh. And so, you know, it was just a random day that I don't even know when it was on the calendar, yeah. but I was like, oh, it's not there anymore. Like, you become accustomed to it. You know, it's kind of there all the time. Yeah. So that's when I really felt the shift. Mm -hmm. I was from the shift. But trying to build a business in the midst of all that. So hard. There are parts of me there, you know, because I don't know about yourself, but I I have a PhD in (laughs) self-flagellation. When people criticize, I'm like, honey, you know nothing. (laughs) You know, save your saliva. I'm way better than you are. Um, my criticism, my self-criticism will run around your criticism. So I, sometimes I look back and I think, oh, I could have done better. I could have done this. I could have done that. Why didn't I do this? Yeah. But then there are times I think, gosh, there was a lot of inner work, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the things you did during those two years that you can recall that that helped you get to that point where that day, that Claritin day? <laughs> I think, well, one of the things that, for me, stories and images are very helpful. Mm -hmm. One 
It was fine, and I think it was kind of after the wedding, and I think this was the story that sort of helped. Because I had, this, I, I feel like I had physical symptoms of the grief because I had a lot of muscle pain mm-hmm. in my back. Yeah. And then I remember reading, I was like, oh, it's grief. I was like, okay. Um, I remember reading a Greek myth about um, one part of Odysseus' story that really stayed with me, and it's called Lying Down, Lying Down with Seals. And that story, for whatever reason, like hit the nerve. It was like, oh, I get it. But that was one sort of story. It was good. And when I got to the worst of the, when the grief sort of, I feel like, really broke. Mm-hmm. It happened to be, I don't know if you ever heard of this. They have it every November called NaNoWriMo. It's National Novel Writing Month. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I had tried to do it like a year, a couple of years before. So that year, for whatever reason, this I decided to do it. And I set myself the goal, the goal of 50,000 words and all that stuff. And funny enough, I managed to do the 50,000 words in the midst of all that crying. And I wrote, and I still have it, and I feel like I should go back and try to do it. a story about a boy facing a journey through the landscape of grief. Yeah. So seeing the image, for me, like I work with astrology, and even in astrology, I think of the birth chart as a territory, as a country. Mm-hmm. So having that kind of image, it's like, oh, it's a landscape of grief. There are kind of unique parts of this geography. How do I journey through this? And also for me, funny enough, I don't know, do you know the actress Helen Mirren? Mm-hmm. She's a British actress. Yeah. In my mind, She's Lady Grief. So I would think she's Lady Grivana. And that I would have tea and scones with her, you know. So <laughs> so to me, to have that sort of kind of whimsical image of like, oh, it's Lady Grivana. She looks like Helen Mirren. Ain't too bad. And, you know, I'm going through this landscape of grief. That was helpful, actually. Oh, what a wonderful um, visualization. Yeah. To me, the cool. story was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I guess you just go through it. It's like... Yep. <laughs> it's just there. Yeah. You know? Um, sometimes it shows up like a bear. It's really shaking you and rattling you. Yep. I also think having, I think your own spiritual beliefs help you for me. Mm-hmm. I have a sense that there is life after death and, you know. And I think it also, for me, in many ways, I felt that my father's death improved my relationship with him because I feel like him on the other side in his bigger sense of self mm-hmm. he can see me differently than he saw me incarnated as my father and vice versa mm-hmm. so in some ways I, I share it's almost like I have him I don't have to share him with anybody else now yeah right I can have that link so that's that was a that's surprise beautiful. I didn't think I was going to see it that way yeah, that's um, kind of how I see with my mom, too. That's interesting. Beautiful. Yeah. Very yeah. comforting. The number one complaint I've always had is, like, I just wish wherever he is on the other side that he had a cell phone reception so he could call and be like, right. hey, this is what's <laughs> happening over here. And let me tell you what's going on. Um, right. I agree. That's the, the, the lack of news, if right. you know what I mean. It's the worst. <laughs> 
I'm a person who loves my phone, so as you can tell. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you like conversations, back and forth. I like conversations. So come on, tell me. Sometimes I look at my father's photo, and I'm like, come on, Dad, what's happening over there? Right? I'm sure you're having great adventures. Do share. Do share. Oh, um, love it. So I see it that way. Yeah. I, think it, I cannot conceptualize. Again, it's very foreign to me. It's like yeah. you die and that's it. I'm like, oh, that's so boring. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yes. Oh, I bet your dad, wherever wherever he is, is yeah. super proud. I mean, yeah. I you get that sense, I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, he kind of, it was his words that were yeah. Yeah. pushed you forward. That's why I really think more and more in the 2020 has kind of really brought this home to me. I feel that one of the greatest challenges our culture has now is that we're actually quite literal. We're too literal. We can't, we see the world with one way and we forget to see how other things are alive and they speak to us. Much like we think our pets are speaking to us if you have pets. I do think the world is speaking to us and we're just so deaf to it that I think part of now it has kind of shifted the way I see my work um, in terms of I want to help people see that there are other ways of engaging and knowing that really do help us along the way. I mean, you make a 3,000 mile move because really the dream kind of said, yeah, go to Portland. <laughs> it didn't say go to Seattle, so I picked Portland uh-huh. you know, random. Uh, you know, my father in, you know, near death is like, go for it, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we feel sometimes really alone and desperate, but it's like, well, if we were to open our eyes and ears a bit more, we could be like, oh, there are other ways of knowing a message is coming and other images and stories that could be helping you. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, that's in one of the ways that knowing your astrological chart will help. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's definitely telling a story. Um, yeah. So I say to people, it, you know, if you want to start a business, I say it's an ego death. Yes. An aspect, an aspect of you or a few aspects of you will definitely die. Yes. And yes. they may kick and scream. Yes, they uh, will. Anyone. More than likely. More than likely. <laughs> they don't like to be made redundant. No. And the parts that will be made redundant about your personality may surprise you of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually, I do feel like you have to die in a certain way to give birth, even to a business, an aspect. I mean, I had to die as an employee yep. with a stable job yep. to do this. Yep. When people in the office asked me what I was doing and such, I remember saying, and thinking and seeing this image that I was leaving the safety, quote unquote, of the castle to mm-hmm. go out into the forest. And who knew what I was going to meet in the forest? Trolls, a band of merry uh, outlaws like yeah. Robin Hood uh-huh. or a dragon. Who knows? You are going into the forest and you're just making your way. And it's like coming out of the womb, too. It is. It is. Yeah. And how many people, interesting, the way they responded to me telling them that I was leaving, really revealed revealed if they were jealous or fearful. What, what they thought was really interesting, because I could tell a lot of people in the office were more 
had this unconscious jealousy that I was going out after my dreams. And yeah. they, I could tell they felt they couldn't go after their dreams. Yes. Well, yeah. So in, in because of that, in many reasons, it changes your relationships with people. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure, which is a uh, form of death in some ways. Yeah, so you lose, you do lose friends, mm-hmm. um, or you gain it others. Changes. Yeah, it's really, it's definitely changes in your yeah. way of seeing. Because I guess it ties in with, you know, being able to move to a different part of the country, or move to a different country, or yeah. do something you didn't think about. Yeah, it does take a bit of a kind of courage you thought you might, you didn't have. Yeah, and things will die. They'll be left behind, but for new things to be birthed. So one thing I wanted to ask, because I love um, something that I've heard you say, is that you feel intellectually American, but in your heart and emotional life, you're Latin. And one of the other things I love about you (laughs) is all of your Brazilian sayings. So I think it'd be awesome and totally fitting if you would send us out with one that might be relevant to... One of my favorite ones, and I think it has really felt... Uh, appropriate for 2020 and look like this year as well. Yes. You can't please Greeks and Trojans. Yes. You can't please them. Oh my God, that's so true. (laughs) And I think the Latin thing is just, it was my mother always says, if you got a drop of Latin blood, it's strong. (laughs) I think there's Latin blood to me. And this I'm considering the whole Mediterranean sort of, you know, Italy, Portugal, Mm -hmm. all that, Latin America. I feel like you're always a bit close, very close to what I think Western culture would deem irrational and lunacy, but also whimsical and wild. Nice. You know, Latin people are known, like it or not, they're known for passion. And I think passion puts you right on the road of there's a bit of risk, there's a bit of it's not, it's irrational, Yeah, you know? And so I still feel that at, at an emotional level, I'm a bit like, I either love you or I hate you. There's no middle ground. <laughs> I admire the, the, the intellect, the ability of the information and seeing things rationally. It's like, and so I think that in, in that part, I'm, I'm American in that sense. I mm-hmm. feel American. But I think there's always a part of me that feels slightly wild in my own head. I don't. I don't think I look wild at all or do anything that's really wild. But I mean, I'm a pumpkin by 9 p.m. But um, I do feel there's something of that. You I'm move. emotionally engaged. It's like you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's wild. All the things that you've just talked about in our conversation today. Those are those are things that would look to some as quote unquote crazy. But not to you and I. No, I, I, I see. I see it as as major brave bravery, passion. It's awesome. I think more yeah. people need to to follow those angel dreams and those those things said by the ones that love us and believe in us. Definitely yeah. need to listen to that. So. Yeah. Well, Vanessa, I appreciate you being here as Thank always, you. and Thank I you. look forward to someday listening to new podcast episodes mm-hmm. from you in the future. Sometimes yes, I'm still I'm still sitting on that one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Vanessa. You're welcome. Well, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed Vanessa's courageous story as much as I did. Are you now pondering the big questions about life's transitions, purpose, and livelihood like I am? Vanessa may be the perfect companion to go on that journey with you. Her work has helped me a lot. She's an archetypal astrologer, artist, and teacher, and an idea maven. 
Working with Vanessa can help you claim all the spokes of your life's wheel. Whether you're at a crossroads or needing help getting your business to stand out from the crowd, you don't have to do this alone. Learn more about her work at VanessaCuto.com. That's Vanessa, C-O-U-T-O.com. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram to get tons of helpful free content. All the links to Vanessa are in the show notes, including a link to her healingways.com profile, where she serves as a part of the support team with me, Laura Rao, Natasha Olson, and Olga Ward. Hey, thanks for listening to the Dragonfly Connection with me, Amber Cook. You can find out more about my guest in the show notes or by following me on Instagram at the Dragonfly Mama. That's M-O-M-M-A. If you have an inspiring story of your own that you would like to share on the podcast, email me at the Dragonfly Mama. Again, that's M-O-M-M-A at gmail.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss out. New episodes drop every Wednesday.